Good morning. It's cold outside. Not really. It's kind of like balmy for me from the north. I'm a Yankee, you know, but okay, I'll stop. I didn't bring this weather here just to be clear, okay? I've had a lot of threats. They hey, take it back. I did not bring it. I'm now a Florida resident, okay? So I have it all. I'm a part of y'all now, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. My name's Pastor Scott. I'm still kind of relatively the new guy, but I'm kind of figuring things out as we go along. And we are getting to Fortune Cookie Wisdom, which is a sermon series analyzing cultural kind of fortune cookie sayings, like you will get a red sports car after service today, or you will find the person of your dreams. Or as we look in today, we'll get into this idea of a group mentality that my group is right and my thought process are right. We'll get in that in a moment, but I want to say thank you to the staff and for several volunteers for keeping this thing going as I just let everybody know that I did have a COVID positive and was under the weather this week. So thank you to them in front of everybody and welcome to our online audience to see Rhonda, see so many other people chiming in and chatting. So good morning and welcome and glad everybody is here worshiping with us. We have so many people online this morning. Before we get into an activity, I want to just have you divorce your own self for a minute and the way in which you perceive the world. That's impossible for all of us to do, but it is a helpful exercise when we talk about things that can make us uncomfortable. And as we delve into the sermon today on diversity, on things like racism, for sure you're going to say, yeah, I've heard that before, Pastor Scott. I heard that in third grade. Or I've heard that before. I heard that just two years ago. But in reality, all of us need to hear this constantly, and especially from the biblical and godly message that we'll hear this morning. So I want, as I tell many people who are doing premarital counseling with me, to take your baggage that you bring onto your personality train and set it to the side and let the train go for a while and then pick that baggage back up and analyze based on what you hear this morning on how you treat others around you, how you engage the world around you. So I'm asking, maybe just sit with this for a few minutes, for a few days, and allow it to marinate before we apply. And there will be a challenge to apply at the end of the message today. Everybody okay with that? The least enthusiastic okay I've ever heard. Okay, here we go. Let's talk about something uncomfortable. Let's do a little interactivity, okay? No one said okay. All right, we're not going to do the interactivity. We'll just go to the, uh, the biblical, no, I'm just kidding. Interactivity, here we go, ready? Now, you just have to follow along. You're gonna be just fine. If you sing out of tune, it's okay. If you're, if you're the soloist accidentally, it's okay. We're all just having fun here, okay? So, Ah. Uh. 
And the first time ever. Now, I'm not a very good choral director anymore. I just figured that out. I can't remember my, my hand signs. But y'all nailed that. Y'all nailed that. Something very just natural, but not to singing. Not to singing. See, y'all were, were fine singers, and especially I heard some, some soloists out there, and well done, carrying the group, so, so to speak. But, but in all honesty, there's something very natural about grouping together. And there's this moment where all of a sudden I divided the room in half without really doing anything except I made like this to you. And you all of a sudden all knew you're part of a group. And some of us who have been in choirs or, or, or groups before, you say, well, okay, now all of a sudden we're the altos because the altos always have the hardest part, right? You came in second. You over here, you all of a sudden banded together and you started singing louder even. Saying, hey, we get it, but we're, we're, we're a part of a group. Even though we may be less in number, we're gonna sing a little bit better than them. And you think I just kind of threw in like the little bit of, you know, the little challenges here and there. And we could go for 15 or 20 minutes, but I have other things to talk about. Because what I had happened, and it took an entire class period at the University of Nebraska, I was in the choir there, is that the director, choir, university singers, choir of 80 people, he had every single person individually do that exercise, and we had a round of 80 different parts going da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and then the next person da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and it was beautiful, and it sounded a little bit muddy, but it was beautiful at the end because every single person was both an individual and yet both at the same time a part of a group. See, friends, there's something exceptionally human about creating and making groups of similarities. They think, they act, they look, they behave, they are like me. And so I will bond with that person or persons. And we see that against this, that there's a great, great danger in doing this kind of mentality. The spirit of the age, the fortune cookie, if we had a fortune cookie to open up, might say that my th group thinks or my group that I belong to is right. And so anyone else against my group is now, I'm going to use two labels that we're all just roll our eyes with or we'll nervously laugh a little bit because we call ourselves sometimes Republicans and we call ourselves Democrats, right? And if it's my group and my cable news network is right, then the other one must be, and never before in my lifetime, but I know in others' lifetimes, have I seen these two groups go at it so much. And as a registered Nebraskan party, I have to change that. There isn't a thing called the Nebraska party. You all know that? You gotta Google it, it's, it's fascinating. As a registered Nebraska party, I just had to laugh at these two groups because as, a back, as an outsider of these two groups, they just fight over the silliest things. But we use this in other ways as well. See, the best part about being human is we crave relationship. We crave to be seen by others and to be seen in others, we see ourselves. When we relate in those groups, what we do is we create what we call a spirit. Now, I know my body, I know I have a soul, I know I have a mind, I have organs and a heart, 
But a spirit is something that we cannot necessarily contain and control because it happens when humans gather together and they start fellowshipping together. You don't believe me? You ever heard of the spirit of America? It's coming when all Americans come together. We have the spirit among us. We unite over certain things. The spirit of America was flourishing and unfortunately, after 9-11, but it was a flourishing spirit. We were all bonded together during those years. Ever hear the spirit of Florida State? I had to bring it up. Sorry, folks. But there's this idea that when Florida State, any sport is playing, all of a sudden there's this group of people who bond together, and they have this whole liturgy they do during football games. Y'all know when to stand up. You know what cheers to do. You know what songs to sing. You know what things to do. Ra rah, sis, boom, bah, Yeah? And that's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing at times. But we also can have evil spirits. Times where humans come together and they work together and the same bond that brings about beauty can also bring about destruction, can bring about hatred. We see that when we relate to another person, we create this spirit among us and sometimes it's holy and sometimes it's not. The worst part is the temptation of the knowledge of good and evil, that somehow we can label what is good and what is bad, that we have the right as people to label others as right or wrong, as good or evil. If it is our God-given ability to create a spirit of a group when we bond together, they give us great power to do evil and good of all kinds. And we cannot undo this desire for a majority or a minority to then emerge that when we bond together, there's going to likely be some sort of majority group that comes out of bonding together. And when we as a majority bond together, there's going to be necessarily then a minority group that will bond together. It is a unique part that we have to take in all seriousness also in the biblical account, that over and over and over through the entirety of the Bible, we see that this grouping of people together, even the group of people called the Israelites, was something that had an identity about them. Now, sometimes those identities were taken and given glory to God who gave them that identity. And sometimes those identities were taken for own human purposes and not for good, but for evil. But here's the issue for today. We as Americans have seemed to have lost our way. We cannot see one another due to our segmented and siloed party affiliations, not just Democrat and Republican, but all sorts of labels that we tend to put on one another. But we have had challenges in seeing this ever since our founding, haven't we? We've all inherited a flawed system with so many erroneous histories and horrific stories. On many days, as I look at our history, I feel hopeless. But my own personal experience is in this as well. See, friends, I grew up in very rural Nebraska. You can judge me and put me in my silo box now. I grew up in a high school that had two persons of color in the graduating class. And it was a big deal because halfway through, we only had one. And so we doubled our minority percentage as we went through those four years. I grew up in a place where diversity was always valued. It was always taught in our classes, even though we weren't diverse. And I grew up in a family that was incredibly non-diverse. And then once I married my amazing wife diversity happened. I was a part of a family that was extremely diverse in her extended family. And I had to reorient who I was. I was challenged at my core. Over the course of my professional world, working in churches, I found that 
my way of worshiping God in a very white United Methodist church in suburb Nebraska was not necessarily the norm for people. I'll admit that I learned how to nay-nay in a black church in Kansas City. And I'm a horrible nay-nayer. You're not going to see it. Not happening here. Nope. Your eyes do not need to see that horror. I purposely sought out diversity in numerous stations of my own life and have so many stories that I'd want to share and want to get into this message, but I know that at some point I have to let you go have lunch. But I was able to worship in a black church in Chicago when I started seminary. And man, my whole world and my view of God exploded into something completely different. If you are new or don't know me personally, my wife and I have had the privilege, not by any choice, but just by chance, to adopt four black, beautiful children. They're way better than anything these genes could provide. Now, my wife, she could forget beautiful children, so don't hold that against her. But for me personally, I look at my four children and I see myself in them, not because of anything on their exterior, but on their interior. And I'll admit that there are times in social situations that I'm actually drawn to people who are color versus people who actually look and act like me because of my growing up. I come and share this with you because as an individual voice in a choir that is our entire country, I don't fit in any certain group. And I don't expect you to follow my lead. You all have experiences. You all have stories. And you all have moments where you felt the best of humanity and the worst humanity in terms of diversity. Over and over and over, having four diverse children and four diverse babies, I can tell you story of story of story of blatant racism directed at me because of the choices my wife and I have made. Amazingly, most of these happen, and there's nothing ill will against the place, but amazingly, they happen at Walmart where people think they have some sort of opportunity to share things and voice things at me or my children that make no earthly sense. I unconsciously bury these and messages I've received anonymously on Facebook or emails and understand that there is a place and a time to share those with people who are the right type of people to share them with. And so I share them as an example that I don't fit well into any certain part in our collective human chorus that we all are singing on. And then 2020 happened. 2020 shined a light in dark places that no one wanted to see, but we do desperately need to see them. I remember during many of the race riots that actually happened in Lincoln, Nebraska, and many buildings were destroyed and burned and there's a lot of reasons to that, but the point of this is during those race riots, I felt incredibly alone because I wanted to go and help. I wanted to stop all the rioting. I wanted to stop the injustice and the hatred that just seemed to seethe from every pore of our collective conscience. And knowing that this was brought about partly due to a pandemic and partly due to all sorts of other facets and realizations, I was powerless. And as an Enneagram 3, if you know your Enneagram, you know threes love to feel powerless. And so I started doing house projects and I started doing things that kept me busy and kept my mind off it. And I remember painting the basement wall chalkboard black because I thought it'd be fun for the kids to paint, to put chalk on the, on the basement walls and just sitting down and start weeping openly 
as I got done with this section saying, what am I doing? What are we doing here? We have so many dear friends who are persons of color, and they plainly said during that year they were tired of trying to educate persons who were white about the various and abundant stories of racism during and before 2020. See, friends, this isn't something that's just going to go away, no matter how much we want it to, in a poof, in an instant, in a blink of an eye. This is something we will take hundreds of years to heal our collective nation from. While there are many home moments of hope shining through the darkness of 2020, at times it just seemed like a cup of water on an inferno or a band-aid on a whole body burn. By no means am I perfect, nor do I profess to be so, but I see clearly the racism that is deeply rooted in so many persons and places, the inequality that pervades us, and the inequity that dooms us for being a more perfect union. And just a quick note, due to time but not due to importance, I haven't even addressed the rampant racism and horrific treatment of my Latino brothers and sisters, or those of Asian descent who bear the unfortunate unsaid racism brought forth due to the pandemic. This is not time enough for all of this but I see you and I care for you. At times, our hope only seems to come from some unnerving rebalancing of the table where the haves realize what the have-nots have been saying since the beginning. But it's through all of this that I don't think any of us really do fit in any of these choral parts, that we've been pre-assigned. But in reality, we just sing along because we have this innate need to believe in saying to something. At this point, you may say, this is hopeless, Pastor Scott. Aren't you supposed to bring hope as a pastor? Yes. As a great saying says, you need to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so now I want to transition quite quickly the hope that I constantly come back to and hope it brings you hope regardless of your situation and life circumstance you're in. See, friends, you are an idol. I didn't expect you to say that. I was going to say that, did you? You are an idol, and not an American idol. <clears throat> Does anybody remember these three judges' names? Yeah. Obviously, if you've seen any show, because Simon Cowell's on half of the shows on TV right now, this picture proves Simon Cowell is a robot, okay? <laughs> and, and moreover, moreover, if it's on the screens at church in this font, it's true, okay? So it's now true. Simon Cowell is a robot. You know, a little levity as we just come off the darkness here a bit. You are an idol. You're an idol because of what we heard read from Cody in Uganda. Seven o'clock at night right there. Thank you for doing that, Cody, if you're watching. You are an idol because God created you to be just that. Did you miss that part when Cody was reading it? Let's go back to the text. This is day six of God's creation. And there's lots of theories about God's creation and lots of unknowns about why and how we have this Genesis chapter one. But in fact, Genesis one is wisdom literature. We've been focusing on this wisdom literature during this series. And Genesis one is the wisdom of how things were created and made. And while I have theories that God is creating God's own temple out of all of God's creation, that the furthest galaxies are still God's footstool of God's temple, we see that in Genesis 1, there's a secondary story of understanding our purpose in this cosmos, in this creation. It's something we need to understand and heal our collective humanity with and understanding what our purpose is, what our place is as a human. So God's created everything, and he looks around and he always says, it was 
Yeah, it's always good. God created it. God's good. And over and over and over, he repeats this, and he creates all the, the plants and all the, the animals. And if you understand the text, you say there's this beautiful tapestry here. And then God speaks to God's self. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they will rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along on the ground. Pause there for a moment. You go back. Let us. God is speaking to who? Yeah. It's a, it's a quick pronoun that you just drive past saying, yeah, God's cool, whatever. God is speaking to God's self. Now, as a Christian, we understand that God is three in one. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so God is having this cool little God moment with God's self. A little, little weird schizophrenic God thing. I don't know. But, but in all honesty, we don't understand how this works, but God's talking to God's self. And God says, let's make people in our image. In our image. Hold on to that. Let's keep going. Verse 27. So God created mankind and womankind in God's own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In God's own image. Literally means that God creates an idol out of humanity. Now, idols in this day and age were not just cheap things, knockoffs, things you'd find at a a department store. Idols were things that people did not understand and yearned to control. We see over and over and over all these other societies create idols out of all sorts of different things. Sun, moon, cow, water, sheep, kings, teachers, a celebrity. All these different people and things were brought up and made into idols. Even the Greek and Roman gods were these unbelievable kind of people, but way bigger and taller, who control different aspects of the cosmos. And here we see a totally different picture come through. There is one God, three in one, who creates all things. And you know what? You're the pinnacle of God's creation. Pat yourself on the back, E3. You did absolutely nothing, and God thinks you're the greatest thing ever. Because you are. You're made in God's image. God gives us a directive to be fruitful, to multiply, to rule over everything, to be good stewards of what God has created for us. And then in verse 31, God looks around and he says, you know what, it's not just good today. Day six, he specifically says, is very good. It's very good. Who remembers when a parent, you know, he gives you that, like, hey, good job, you made your bed. But then there's this moment as a kid, many of us have this, and it's very clear, where we hear our mom or dad say, wow, what you just did was very good. And there's this pride that's just like my heart bursts outside of my chest and does a little dance, right? God looks at you and says, you are very good, humans. God deems these things in groups over all of creation, It shows that by grouping things, by labeling things, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But what is bad is deeming anything less than what God has deemed. I'll repeat that. What is bad is deeming anything less than what God has deemed. So here's our truths from this passage. First of all, all humanity is in the image of God. All humanity. And secondly, no matter your label or grouping, You are in the image of God. And you're saying, I'm being redundant. Yes, I am. You have to realize this and take this in your heart. 
This is incredibly now important more than now than ever. God has created you and created you and you and you on the screen and you behind the camera right now and you and you and you and you and you and every single person in this room in God's image. Now we create idols. It's important that we strike them down immediately. But when God creates an idol, an image of God's self, we might want to pause and stop and think about the complications to our race, to our gender, to our political ideology. Most of us would consider God to look like some sort of masculine image. Old guy with a long white beard. You see him? Yeah. And God is almost always white. And God is almost always has a six pack. I don't have a six pack. I have a spare tire. But I'm made in God's image. And so I look at God and I say, I hope God doesn't have a six pack when I get to heaven. I just, it's not in the cards for me. Don't tell me I can work out. No, it's not true. I'm not listening to that. But in all honesty, kidding aside, the thing you hate most about yourself might be the thing that God has made you to show off God's self. God may have a funky mole just like you have. God may be short. God may be tall, blonde hair, black hair funky eye shape that you hate, but that's God's eye shape. God may be black or white or any shade in between because most of us, when we figure this out, when we put ourselves in these label boxes of, of black or white, none of us really fit in terms of the color. I mean, really. We, we, we see the diversity of humanity in God's self and you say, how can God be both all? And yes, God can be. God is all of these things. Any number of disabilities we consider in our day and age may be exactly what God wants to show off in the creation that he has made in his image. When we see God, friends, we see one another. And friends, when we see one another, we see God. Groups who spew hate, racism, sexism, and other forms of labeling are trying to limit people and strike them down. May eternity be so surprising for these groups. Those groups are at their base sinful. Meanwhile, Jesus, who we talked about for 16 weeks in a row through the gospel of Mark, makes a point of bringing all outsiders to be what? And so we see that this point is, is that Jesus is radically inclusive, not just based on the Israelite lineage, but based upon Jesus loves all of his creation, all of his image. Can you imagine him walking around just as a human on the street and saying, I made you and I made you and I made you and you're all in my image. It's beautiful. No matter any factor that God has made you in some fashion in God's image, while we still see the choices we make can be sinful, absolutely. There are some areas we are born with that are absolutely beauty marks from the divine. In our emerging culture, who's a part of our vision of E3 Church, agrees with this. See, every generation born since the 1920s has grown up in a more diverse culture than the generation before them. Post-millennials, called Generation Z, are now the most racially and ethnically diverse community of generation in the history of the United States. We see that post-millennials, 48% are non-white, whereas millennials, who were born around 2002, about 39%. The generation before them, the Gen Xers, were 30%, and the Boomers were only 18%. Our world has changed. 
Coupled with this is the passion of Millennials and Generation Z for social justice. Started with Millennials and Generation Z, we heard them on steroids. 82% have friends of another race. 59% have friends who are gay or they abhor exclusion and discrimination, and they see diversity and inclusion as key values. The point is, we as humanity are indeed making market progress through diversity and accepting diversity, but not nearly enough. See, I have to re-see myself on a daily basis. I have to see myself not as who I am, but I have to see myself as God sees me who I am. There's a person who's very dear to me. I'm giving them anonymity because I don't want to share this story with them. But I remember walking into their closet and seeing a mirror that was only about this tall. And I sat there and looked at it and I said, well, that's weird. It only shows their body. It shows what they're wearing. And at the top of the mirror was a picture of Jesus. And I just love that. And I come back to it over and over and over saying, I can't see my face when I look in the mirror. I need to see Christ in God's face first. And more importantly, more importantly, when I look at others, I need to see the same thing. I cannot see my brothers and sisters. I can't see people who I label based on race or the clothes they wear or the way their hair is cut, or the glasses they have on, or any sort of different outside mark as anything but Jesus Christ. But to so many, including myself, who just don't fit into one predefined area, I say that I see you in the image of God. I see God in however and wherever God made you. And to those who do not fit in Let this sermon make you feel uncomfortable, but to realize that in each group that we tend to divide ourselves in, singing group or not, and there are numerous who can't sing, who will not sing, who will not see the world as you, but we can only behold who God is when we see others around us, all others around us. As a worship team comes up and gets ready to sing this most beautiful song, challenge us. I want you to to just take a moment and think through what you've just heard. Not for this just to be one another, another thing about racism. Oh my, I've only heard this 20 times at work over the last 20 years. If you can see a brother and a sister, another person in the image of God, it will radically transform how you behave and how you act around them. Because they are hoping you will become something better than this world has had and inherited from the past from before. I hope, my heart of hearts, that we will see over the course of this generation and the ones that have come, the ones who will inherit this church way past my tenure, the ones who will be here where my kids are my age, to see a world that is less hateful and more loving to see a world that is more inclusive than exclusive, and to see God's image radically shining through E3 Church. Because they are hoping that you will be God to them. And so will I.